and welcome to Reliving My Youth, the show where we look back to pop culture from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My name is Noel Folkman. It's one of the most memorable songs of the 1980s. It's Obsession by Animotion. I had the chance to chat with Bill Wadhams, the lead singer of Animotion. He tells me how the band came about the song, which was originally recorded by Michael Day Barr and Holly Knight. Their version failed to chart, but Animotions went all the way to number 6. Bill was originally hesitant about the song, he tells me why. Obsession was the theme song for WWF's Saturday Night's main event. Bill left the band before the third album, we get into that. He, along with Astrid Plain, rejoined the band in 2016 and released Raise Your Expectations, their first album with Animotion in almost 30 years. Animotion is currently part of the Lost 80s live tour. Here's my conversation with Bill. And helping me relive my youth today is Bill Wadhams. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Noel. Good to talk with you. Oh, uh, yeah. The pleasure's all mine. So, you, uh, Animotion, first album, 27 years released last year, Raise Your Expectations. It's, I love it. It's absolutely fabulous. What was the process like reuniting with Astrid after all those years to record an album? Well, uh, I would jump back to about the year 2001 because that's when Astrid and Charles and I, Charles being, was, Charles was married to Astrid. A lot of people thought that Astrid and I were an item, but in right. fact, she was with, she was with the bass player. And, uh, when the band split up in the late eighties, um, I didn't talk to Astrid and Charles for about 14 years. And then, uh, in 2001, uh, we, I contacted them and I said, um, would you guys like to sit down and sort of just revisit what, what's going, you know, say, you know, just check in with each other. And, and so we sat down, we laughed, we cried, we, you know, made up and we agreed that if ever there was an opportunity to work again, that we would do that. And then, uh, shortly after that, we got a call asking us if we'd like to play uh, in an 80s show, and we got back together. We got our original keyboard player, Greg, on board. Um, our guitarist, Don, has been out with Rod Stewart for about 16 years. So okay. I think I, he was doing something else at the time. But, um, but yeah, so we reformed as a live band, really, in 2001. And in the last, wow, uh, 17 years, we have occasionally gone into a studio, whether it was uh, my home studio or we've been in a studio in Portland, Oregon. We've been in a couple studios in Los Angeles. And we just never really came out with anything that we were convinced was uh, a professional album, you know, quality. And so, um, but we kept chipping away at it. And then uh, kind of out of the blue, um, a little record label in London called Invisible Hands Music contacted me and said they would be interested in a new Animotion album if we had any material. And I sent them the song, Raise Your Expectations. Uh, and there's a story behind that song itself, but, but just to kind of finish this thought, um, uh, I sent Raise Your Expectations to Charles Kennedy at Invisible Hands Music in London, and he loved it, and he agreed. He said, let's do an entire album. 
wanted to work again with our original guitarist, Don, uh, even though he was out touring with Rod Stewart uh, all the time. And he's, matter of fact, he's in Moscow with Rod Stewart right now, okay. of all places. <laughs> but, um, but Don said, look, you know, I think that we should work with Chuck Kentis, who is the musical director for Rod Stewart's band. He's also a very good producer, an amazing keyboard player, and just all-around great musician. And so I said, well, okay, let's, uh, let's give that a try. So Chuck and Don and I got together for a kind of a writing-slash-producing meeting, and we came out of that meeting with the uh, beginnings of three or four songs that we all liked a lot. And and uh, then we brought Astrid into the picture and we brought Greg into the picture. And, um, and, and then we just kept hammering away at it until we had the entire album. Well, and how much like of a challenge was it determining what you wanted to put on the album, like kind of like recapture the old days, like kind of, or versus like doing new things? Well, we definitely wanted to at least have part of the album be reminiscent of our first two albums. Um, so, because, for instance, uh, Astrid is very much into soul music and rhythm and blues, and and she loves newer artists like uh, Lord and Duffy and right. people like that, and so she's really into that. Um, and... Uh, so she had written some songs that were pretty soulful and almost Motown sounding, and and I probably had written some things that sounded uh, more like jangly pop, like uh, oh Tom Petty meets the Birds meets the Beatles hmm. meets uh, Chris Isaac, right? And um, and so we we started submitting things that had been. We, we tossed into the hopper all these things that we had recorded over the years. And um, let's see, I, th I think we kind of got to a point where we said, we need to write new stuff. We need to write new stuff with, with, uh, with being um, somewhat sensitive to our first two albums and, and to kind of what the sound of the 80s has, has uh sort of become and been re revisited many times by even you know current bands a lot there's a lot of bands now that sound like they could have come out of the 80s mold so at any rate um we just uh we got together we decided to write new songs so um chuck and don and i and greg uh crafted uh musical pieces and then we would bring in astrid for uh lyric sessions we tried to be very inclusive, um, and so yeah, it was really uh, a lot of it was inspired by um, I might have like a, a chord progression and, and even like an idea of, for instance, I came to the to the party and said I have an idea called I'm not your lover, not your lover, because a lot of people think that Astrid and I may have been lovers because we sang obsession. So right. I I said let's. How about a song, I'm not your lover, I'll never be your lover.
uh, so um, I presented that lyrical idea, and then Chuck came back with a piece of music. Um, actually, I think that one, he has a son who's about, at the time, was about 22 years old, who was stud he's studying soundtrack music at UCLA or something, USC, and uh, <laughs> he'd been playing around with what he thought was 80 sounds, and I think he had, like, this a musical piece that his father Chuck said, I think this piece of music might fit with Not Your Lover as a concept, and, and, and it started to come together that way. So, um, you know, and then Astrid uh, tossed in some of her lyrical ideas into that. Um, it was a nice blend. Uh, I'll give you another example of a, another song, how it came together was Astrid sent me, I said, Astrid, send me lyrics. Just write a bunch of lyrics. Right. So she wrote, she wrote a lyric called Love You Better. And, um, and in that lyric, she's just basically saying to someone, I know you're interested in someone else, but take a look at me. I, I'm, I can love you better. And um, I took that and kind of turned it upside down a little bit. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, Chuck set up a piece of music. They actually had a piece of music. Um, Don and Greg had, uh, Don and Chuck had written this piece of music for that became um, "Love You Better," and uh, he said, "Look." Um, I'm, we're going to play you this music. Just sing whatever comes to mind. And when I heard the beginning of the piece of music, there was a telephone ringing, like, you know, and there was and there was a bird chirping. So that to me sounded like a little bit humorous. And there was a telephone in there. So I just started singing. I'm really glad you called. I've been thinking about you. There's something I wanted to say. And, um, and so it was kind of just an ad lib. And then we, then I thought of Astrid's lyric and I thought, well, I'm kind of breaking up with this girl and she's turning around saying, but I can love you better. And so that, it just kind of like came together from, you know, four different angles. Right. Now, you also included one of your um, old hits, "Let Him Go," on there. What was like the yeah. yeah the thought behind that? Well, the record company asked me, "Should we do a remix, or should we do revise anything from the old catalog?" And um, uh, you know, I what what had happened was. Um, there's another element to the story in that there's a producer whose name is he goes by Joman J O M A N. Okay. Uh, his 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 full name is Joey Mancuso, and he lives in uh, the Phoenix area. And what happened was one day I came across a YouTube video that Joman had created. What he had done was he took. Um, uh, Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Okay. And obsession was was obsession was in that game, right? So 
um, he took what he did was he's a he's a producer and D, a DJ and producer and so he took Obsession and he did a remix of Obsession and he cut it to video from Grand Theft Auto and I thought it was brilliant I thought it was freaking great it's out it's still out there um, you can if you look up Obsession Grand Theft Auto you'll find this this fun video and after I, I've heard a lot of remixes of Obsession but that one really sent me so I sent Joman an email and I said uh, you know I found some contact for him and I sent him an email I said man I just really enjoyed that remix and so he got back to me and he said he was so glad to hear from me and he said if you ever have any new material you would like to collaborate on please send it to me so a year later I had written raise your expectations and recorded it in my home studio um, kind of by myself and uh, I played it for a few people who said you know the song sounds great but your production is weak frankly so I thought well Maybe I'll send it to this guy, Joey, Joman, and see what he can do with it. So I sent it to Joman, and he sent it back to me, and um, I, I brought my wife and my son into the studio, and I said, "Let me. I want to play this. I want you to be here when I hear this song. And I turned up the music really loud and started playing it, and we were, we were all just dancing and laughing because we were really digging it. We just really really enjoyed what he did and uh that was actually the, the the first song that the label in in the united kingdom invisible hands music that was the first song they heard was was joey's version of raise your expectations and and that's why they wanted to call the album raise your expectations we ended up calling it raise but um but anyway that that kicked us in the in the right direction and and at a certain point, we said, well, Joey, how about taking Let Him Go and doing a Joman remix on that song? And the label loved the idea, and Joman knocked it out of the park. And so so there. So that was that. And he, then he took another song that I had re written and recorded mostly on my own at home uh, with some help from Greg Smith, the keyboard player, original keyboard player. And... Um, and he remixed that. Now, he might have produced the entire album, but as I said earlier, um, our guitarist Don uh, lobbied hard to have Chuck Kentis be involved, and I'm really happy that he, that he has been involved and produced the majority of the record, but um, I think that the productions of Joman Productions and the Kentis Productions both you know, stand up really well in the, in the in, on the album. Yeah, and it's actually good that the record company didn't really pressure you to uh, include Obsession in it. Yeah, um, part of the reason being that um, it would just overshadow the whole thing. Right. I think. Yeah. And for for one thing, and really number two, that's such a unique mix of Obsession. It's hard to top that. It just. Not, you know, a few people have re-recorded it, and it's just, uh, 
it's not a game you can win to try to do better, I don't think. <laughs> right, exactly. But uh, you guys, you and Astrid, sound absolutely fabulous. It's like neither one of you have aged on that album. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, I'm definitely a, a big fan of it. Now, on those 80s tours, do you actually come out and say, oh, we're going to play some new stuff too? Or is it just basically a couple hits and then you move along? You know, that's a good question. Um, on these Lost 80s uh, live tours on the, you know, it's like, it reminds me of the cavalcade of 50s artists. Right, when yeah. When I was in the 60s and 70s, and so here I am. Uh, but... Uh, they typically like us to play mostly from our uh, the catalog that people are coming to see, um, but there we usually play at least one song from the new album. So we're prepared to we're prepared to do that here and there. Matter of fact, we're going to play. Oh, I said Phoenix. Uh, Joman is actually Denver. Okay. Correct correction. Uh, Joey Mancuso is from Denver. Uh, Colorado, so we're playing in Denver, and I'm hoping to get him up on stage with us to do Raise Your Expectations. Oh, that'd be great. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, on, on these tours, like, is it the, like, promoter who decides the order, the amount of songs each artist gets to perform? Yeah. Um, I mean, they don't tell us what songs to do. Right, right. But, but they... But they do, they kind of set the lineup, and the, the lineup may fluctuate from city to city. Um, you know, it's always been a little bit funny backstage, or like, especially when someone new comes into the tour. We've been doing it off and on for about 15 years. And uh, there was a time when there were only three or four bands, and, um, <clears throat> and then someone like Naked Eyes comes along. They haven't been out there playing. Well, it's really just one guy, yeah. right, from Naked Eyes. Right. Uh, but he but he comes on, and um, he feels like he should be in a prominent position. Hmm. And so he might muscle his way into uh, a slot that's higher up on the, in the thing. And, you know, it's like the guy who's setting the, the roster, um, he, tries, he tries to accommodate everybody as as fairly as possible his name is rob juarez and rob put together this tour many years ago and he try he loves these bands and he tries to be very fair to everybody uh you know from time to time people are like hey why am i opening up for animotion or why you know yeah uh and uh everybody you know you could get into an argument well let's see uh animotion had two top 10 hits you had one top 10 hit um, you know, et cetera. But it's, yeah. it's you know, um, as, as our guitarist once said, I don't care if we go on first because that means I can enjoy the rest of the show or, or just go for a hike, whatever yeah. I want to do. You yeah. know? It, exactly. You're getting paid either way, correct? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, going out there and having fun either way. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's go way back a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah, you were in a, you know you were a couple bands before you joined Animotion, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how, how what was the process like joining the band? It was kind of uh, it was well yeah. Um, I moved to Los Angeles in 1979, and I formed a band called The Breaks, 
and we played at the Troubadour and a few other clubs, but the breaks didn't last for very long. Uh, then I formed the Billy Bond Band. I changed my name to Billy Bond, <laughs> and I had and I had the Billy Bond Band, and um, uh, we again we were playing at all the prime venues in Los Angeles, um, but I just couldn't. I wasn't getting any. I couldn't connect with the record companies. I wasn't really getting anywhere. Um, I mean, I was writing a lot, and I, I was writing often and taking my songs into a recording studio that was a school for recording engineers called Sound Masters, and they needed a guinea pig. So I was recording in a really fine studio, 24 track in 1982. Um, I recorded something like 50 songs in there when I met Astrid, and she was being mar uh, managed. She was being managed by a guy named Larry Ross, um, and uh, he introduced the two of us. And it was kind of an unusual pairing in that we had different interests in music, different styles, but. There was. I, I felt like there's a there's a reason why I should do this. You know, I just felt okay. It, this is an opportunity to explore something different, and so we'll we'll take this down the road. And um, and when the when our managers got a record company executive named Russ Regan to look at us, he said that he thought that we could be a Fleetwood Mac for the '80s, in that. It would be a guy and a girl. Sometimes we would sing duets. Sometimes each of us would sing solo. And so he liked that idea. Um, and he was, uh, he's an old, um, old hand in the music business. He actually signed Elton John. He signed Kiss. He signed uh, a lot of people. He's very instrumental in a lot of careers. And so he was one of the, one of the great A&R guys. Mm -hmm. And he had this vision for us. And so, um, you know, once, once he kind of got interested in us, then we were off and running. We had the deal and we made the record. And, and even what, after we made the record, I didn't really think that Animotion was going to take off. Um, but, it, but it did, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly did. Now, uh, Obsession was written by Michael DeBear, correct? You know, uh, it's pronounced Daybar. Daybar, okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, was, I, I always I butcher have, it. <laughs> I, I butchered it a couple times until I was very, um, I was put in my place. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I bet. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, um, him and Holly Knight originally uh, recorded it and it kind of had like a goth feeling to it. How did it land on your plate? producer uh, named John Ryan had essentially been assigned to us by the record company and um, let's see we were recording all of my songs the the record was essentially my songs and then he went away to London for some reason and while he was over there he heard Frankie goes to Hollywood relax okay and when he came back he was talking to a publisher who uh, who had this song, Obsession. 
the song was a couple years old. It had been in a movie called A Night in Heaven, which was kind of a roller disco movie. Okay. You are an obsession. I cannot sleep. I am a possession. I'm open at your feet. There is no balance, no equality. Be still. I will not. I heard the story. You can, you, obviously, you can confirm if it's true. Um, you didn't know that it was Michael uh, Debert who um, written it, and you reached out to him on Facebook to confirm it. Well, I knew that he had. I knew that he was a co-writer on the song, and uh, and I found him on Facebook, or it just popped up on Facebook. I didn't know who had written the lyrics and who had written the music. I just knew that they collaborated on it with Mike Chapman, the producer. And, uh, but Michael, Michael Daybar is a very prolific writer and he's very poetic. And I noticed on his posts that he was often poetic on his Facebook posts. So I contacted him through Facebook messenger and I said, Michael, this is Bill. We've never spoken. I sang Obsession, of course, and uh, I've never spoken to you about the song, but looking at your Facebook posts, I would guess that you're the lyricist. Is that right? And he said, yes, that's true. And uh, I said, anything you can tell me about it, I'd be interested to know. 
and that's when he told me that the song was not about a woman, a love affair. It was about the fact that he had um, quit heroin and that the addiction was talking to him, trying to pull him back. Hmm. And so if, if if you listen to the lyrics from that perspective, you can totally see um, you are an obsession. I cannot sleep. You know, I'm a possession, unopen at your feet. Like here I am. All you got to do is open me up and hit me again, and I'm your. You know, you will be. You will go back to being an addict. And uh, he was. He was fighting that, and that's what he wrote about. Yeah, it's it's pretty strong. I'm assuming he did end up kicking it and staying clean. Yeah, yeah, he's been uh, clean and sober ever since then, so long time, yeah. Right. Now, you know, the song took off, was number six on the charts. Um, I remember it well from uh, WWF or now WWE, Saturday Night Main Event. It was the main theme song to to the program. Uh, Do you, and the video was, was, was pretty cool, did you enjoy making the video? Um, the video, making the video, yeah, I did. I guess I could say yes. Um, the, the process is funny. I'll tell you that what happens is directors approach, you know, the, the call goes out to various directors to say, hey, there is a band who, who, who has an idea for a video. And we received half a dozen treatments um, or uh synopsis of what the video might be and in almost all of them the idea was that Astrid and I find each other and hook up somehow and because she was actually with the bass player and I was engaged to another woman um, I didn't want to go that route I didn't want to have that be the focus and so one of the directors said well why don't we make it like a Fellini movie and we'll play off of the line, who do you want me to be? Hmm. And so uh, we literally were sent down to Western Costume Supply and we started pulling different costumes uh, like, what was I, Mark Antony, she was Cleopatra. Cleopatra. Right. Um, yeah, and uh, there was a samurai warrior and an astronaut. You know, it was, as my younger brother said, I can't tell really goofy you know it was both (laughs) right it was both yeah but making it like under the hollywood sign um being in hollywood shooting a music video in 1983 i think we shot 84 we shot it it was very surreal and fun yeah now this i mean obviously you didn't write that and you wrote mostly or if not all the rest of the songs on the first album right yeah now was the obsession kind of a blessing and a curse in that way yeah, obsession was a blessing and a curse for me. I because reviewers would say, "Well, if you like obsession, you may not like the rest of the album because Bill wrote it." I mean, right. one of them actually said something to that effect. Right. I was like, "Oh God!" Yeah. You know, and that kind of was my, you know, my concern was. I guess as a, as an artist, you kind of want to uh, succeed or fail on your own merit and. Um, it took me a while to kind of digest that, so I was grumbling a little bit about, oh, really, you're going to pick the one, so- you know, yeah. the song that someone else wrote and put all the pro- promo into that. Um, so, but, but the fact of the matter is, is 
you know, the, the, the song was released and it was a hit in the Los Angeles area, but it didn't become a national hit to a, till a year later um, when it when it caught fire on a major station in, in L.A. And uh, so there was about a year there where it looked like it was just going to not really go anywhere. Um, but then when it finally caught fire, we started jumping up the charts 10 points a week. And once it reached about number 17 on the charts with a bullet heading towards the top 10, I didn't care where it came from because our phone was ringing off the hook. We were getting invited to, you know, open up for Depeche Mode and things like that. So uh, we were off and running. So it, I, I, it was, yeah, I, I got used to it. Right, yeah. What was, like your, like, your best story from that time? Like, you know, just being on the road and just, like, the whirlwind of it? Um, well, I, I have one story. Um, I have a lot of stories, but let's right. see. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, in my first week of being on the road, I was, uh, we on tour playing at a college in Davis, California. And uh, by some ridiculous twist of fate, our road manager had a side job at the time of being a Coke dealer. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was, he was our first road manager. I don't even remember his name. Right. And uh, so he was, and what I heard later on was that he was like a Coke dealer in hiding by going on the road with us, <laughs> right? It was like, it's just a stupid story, but it was, but anyway, so this guy with way too much Coke in his pockets was our road manager for a minute there. And uh, this, I'd only been on the road for about a week and I had coke up my nose, I was getting stoned and drinking Jack Daniels, and then after a show, uh, and I had a girlfriend at home, uh, a fiance really, but in my first week, I'm high as a kite, and there's a girl trying to get me to come back to her house, kind of in the countryside of California, and she says to me, you know, I really like you to come back to my house, and um, uh, you know, it's about a 20-minute drive, like out in the country. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a little scary. And then she says to me, I just want someone to share my solitude, which again is a little scary. Right. But I'm, but I, I had enough presence of mind to think, okay, I've only been on the road for one week. I'm doing drugs, alcohol, and I'm about to cheat on my girlfriend. Um, this is not a great way to start my <laughs> my road career. Right. I'm I will I'm I'm about to make all the mistakes like in the first week. Uh, so I pulled back. I did not go off into the dark with this with this girl, and I found a way. I after after like one time after doing coke before a show, I thought I was going to have a heart attack after the like the first song. I I sort of. Uh, Gave, gave everything I had in the first song. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, I need to chill the heck out. 
so I had to pull way back on all that stuff and um, pace myself. Um, but yeah, it's it is, you know, it's it's tempting. It's tempting to just uh, hit the road and hit the party. And you know, uh, I've listened to some of Billy Idol's story and to wonder that he's alive and actually still putting on a good show. Um, I, I didn't go that route, but, but I, you know, I certainly had fun, but, um, but you know, that it was, it was a world, it was a whirlwind and, uh, you know, I have other stories, but that's, that's just one of sort of having to check myself in the first week on the road. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's pretty wild. I'm glad that you realized that right now because it could have been a whole different story. Well, I had read, you know, I in like Rolling Stone, I, you know, Rolling Stone magazine, always reading about different people, and I was a huge Eric Clapton fan, and I know that Eric had had you know had a drug yeah. period and then ended up opening a rehab facility, you know. So, <laughs> well, you know, one of my heroes. Uh, nearly killed himself, and and so it's. I just had to really pay attention. Um, so that was that was something. I think that was something that we all had to kind of deal with. Fortunately, it was never a serious problem with any anyone in the band. That's that's good. That's good. Now now speaking yeah, of, yeah. now speaking of of the band uh, when you guys were getting ready for your third album, there was. A bunch of personnel changes um, resulting with you leaving. Uh, what happened? Well, um, I guess I could just boil it down to creative differences. As we were approaching our third album, some of our personal tastes and music started to conflict. Um, Astrid and Charles were big fans of The Smiths and The Cure and and there were a lot of dark lyrics there that I didn't quite get at the time. I appreciate them now more. Right. Um, I was more into Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins and uh, uh, the police and um, Brian Ferry. And I wanted a bit more sophisticated, if you will, in my mind anyway, production um, and... I don't know, in some respects, more of an uplift mojo lyric. Hmm. And um, so we kind of, that's, that's really why, why it kind of uh, fell apart. And, and we, uh, the guitarist and the keyboard player and I split with the two of them. And but, but then the next thing that happened was that the, the guy who had signed us to our record deal left the record company, leaving us with an artist representative guy who was the guy who says, says yay or nay to our material. And, and he, uh, he became my nemesis. He just didn't, he wasn't approving anything that I was into. He didn't like, we wanted, we actually had an agreement from Stephen Haig, this producer who had worked with Thompson twins, okay, yeah. Tina Turner, the fix, all these guys, and and he had agreed to do our third album under our budget at his farm in England, in the countryside. And I thought that was perfect. Right. This this new guy at the record company wanted us to work with someone who had just 
became sort of uh, vehicles for Hollywood songwriters at a certain point. Um, and so, yeah, so there, it was a combination of band conflict and record company artist conflict. And so it all kind of blew up. And then uh, as I left, the guitarist and keyboard player Greg and Don stayed, and the record company decided that they could just throw in a couple of other singers, Cynthia Rhodes and Paul Engeman, and that they could carry on with that emotion. So they they went ahead and did the third album with the uh, two other singers, and then uh, they did a respectable album. But if you look at it, I don't think there's anything written by Greg and Don. It was just uh, it was a kind of a corporate takeover of an emotion in a way. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you have to like kind of fight to get the name and emotion after all those years? No, actually, because Don and Greg retained the name. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, and they they actually never shared it. I guess in in a way that it was never really shared with the two new singers. So what happened was when we reformed, Greg uh, Don was not available, but Greg was. And uh, and Don said, "Sure, have at it." You know. So over the years, Don plays with us sometimes, and then then he was very of the album, which is really a lot of why it sounds uh, like it comes from the original band is because it really is the original key players. Right. Yeah. So so uh, yeah, that's so we were able to retain the name. Yeah. Yeah. So then, like you said earlier, that you didn't speak to Astrid in like 14 years. What was the cause of the the tension? Of the tension? Yeah, like, uh, you know, because she left the band before you did, correct? Uh, yeah. Um, the cause of the tension was is that we there was kind of a power play and and uh, and we kind of pushed her out. So, you know, it was creative differences, but at a certain point, uh, John and Greg and I kind of won the battle, and Charles and Astrid, uh, you know, had to bow out. Right. So the first, like, the first time you guys spoke, it, it was okay after all those years. Um, you know what? When we got together. It, it, it turns out that uh, uh, I contacted them and said, "Hey, do you want to um, want to sit down and talk about it?" You know, um, and they said, "Yeah." And so we we sat down and we and um, we talked about what had happened and why it happened. Astrid and Charles said to me that after an emotion. They had formed their own band um, called Plain English after Astrid Plain, right. and uh, and they were the leaders of the band, and they were the music writers of the band, and they found that the band was constantly revolting against them. <laughs> sort of, you know, the band was it was just hard to be the musical director of a band, really hard. And they said, "We understand why." you got so upset and why it was hard for you as the primary writer to um, find that you were the band. And um, so they sort of forgave me, really, 
after we'd gotten together and made peace, we laughed, we cried, we laughed, we cried. Um, I got a call from my radio station in Portland, Oregon, where I was living, and they were putting on a big 80s party, and they asked me if I would appear as Bill from Animotion, and and they would give me some money to do that. And I said, well, if you're going to give me that much money, I'll. why don't we see if Astrid can come up and join me? And uh, they said, you can get Astrid? And I said, yeah. They said, could you get anybody, could you get, could you reform the band? And I said, well, let me see, you know. And they said, we'll give, you know, we'll pay for your travel, we'll pay for your hotel room, we'll, you know. They made it possible. And uh, so we, everybody came to Portland, we did a show. And after that, we sat in the hotel room and it was like the little rascals, like, hey, I can build a website, I can get a booking agent. I can, you know, and it was, we were back in business. Uh, that's great. I, yeah, I remember seeing you guys on that NBC show, uh, Hit Me Baby One More Time. Right. Yeah, that, 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 was, a, that was a fun show. I you guys did uh, Dirty Vegas cover as well as uh, Obsession. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, what was that experience like? I'll tell you, the most, the most amazing moment of doing that Hit Me Baby show was that they had a rig behind the stage, which was like an elevator. And and if you went back to that video, you'll see that, you know, there's this huge grand staircase. And at the top of the staircase, is you know, like a Wizard of Oz kind of thing. Hmm. And, uh, and they put us on like this elevator um, backstage and, and they... As he introduced us, we like rose up to the top of the stage, and it's Bill and Ezra of all that emotion, and, and just going up on that little elevator with Astrid was just so bizarre. <laughs> and then we we walked down, you know, walked down the steps to a cheering crowd, and it was very, you know, it was one of those surreal moments. Yeah, that was. Uh... That show was fun. I, I, I remember that uh, that elevator scene too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just like oh wow. Yeah. So a after after you left the band, uh, what were, what were you doing? I know you moved to Portland. You kind of uh, laid low in the music scene, correct? Well, yeah, kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's been a few years, so there's a lot to say, but. Uh, just suffice to say that after Animotion, I got a job as a graphic designer at NBC Television in Burbank, and I really enjoyed it quite a lot. Um, really good people, great job. Um, the art department was quite a party. They were hmm. they were rock and rollers, honest honestly, and I had a really good time with them, and uh, and so uh, that was the beginning. Oh, the, well, the early stage of my graphic design career, which I'm still doing some graphic design. Portland, Oregon is home to a very prominent ad agency called Wyden and Kennedy. They've been Nike for many years, Coca-Cola, Microsoft. Uh, they did the uh, um, uh, oh god, Old Spice, the guy on the horse. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. there's there's so funny. There's so funny. I mean, they've got, they're incredibly creative. And, and so, again, that was a really fun gang to work with for years. And I'm still with, still friends with a lot of those guys. 
And so, yeah, I've, I've been doing graphic design. I released an album in uh, Portland. I put out, I, I had like a collaboration with another writer. We called it Black Barrel. And we put out an album in about 1999. And we played locally. I, I played the House of Blues in Las Vegas once with that band. Um, it didn't quite catch fire like I was hoping it would. Um, so I, uh, I carried on, you know, I, it was right after that, that Animotion got back together in 2001. I also have a vocal band that I just called Bill Wadhams and Friends, and we've been playing locally for about, I don't know, eight years, and, um, and it's, it's really fun, because it's, I play my jangly pop music, and, um, and you know, and as it turns out, uh, one of the musicians that plays with me locally goes out with me nationally now. At times, well, that's good. So yeah, yeah, that's good. Now, when you were working at those agencies, did they uh, pressure you into reforming at the holiday party? <laughs> you know, um, I I didn't let people know for a while. I tried to keep it under the radar, especially when I came up to Portland. I didn't tell anybody. Right. But one one day, one of the young women in the agency stopped me on the staircase, and she said, wait a minute, <laughs> you look familiar. And then she pegged me. And then the next time there was a company party, and they on big company parties, um, they pushed me out into the middle of the room, and they had big screens going all of a sudden. Next thing I know... They handed me a microphone, and they've got the video. Oh, boy. <laughs> and and I had about a half a dozen girls from the agency singing in session with me. So what are you going to do? Exactly. You know, <laughs> just party on, Garth. Yeah, right? As, as long as you can have fun <laughs> with it, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. But, Bill, th thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it, and uh, best of luck on the tour of the summer. Thank you very much, Noel. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And a special thanks to Bill for joining us today. He was great. You can follow Animotion on Twitter at Emotion Live. Their website is also at EmotionLive.com. You can follow me on Twitter at the first Noel19. Be sure to like the page We're Living My Youth on Facebook. You can go to iTunes, you can check out past episodes, and while you're there, please rate and review the show. A special thanks to everyone who's listening. I can't do without you guys. And be on the lookout for another episode of Reliving My Youth, real soon.